0: Well, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. We bless the name of the Lord in this place this morning. Now, hold on, let me just pause for a moment. That would have been okay if we were down the street, downtown, at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium with the Falcons. Here's what I need to let you know. There's going to be about 70,000 people in the Dome today cheering for a team that you don't know if they're going to win or lose this week. But I just came in here and stepped up and said, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. The one who is, who was, and is to come. The one who never lost the battle. The one that no matter who you put on the other side is gonna win, that already has the victory. I need some people to stand up right now because there's gonna be some people standing up today, yelling to the top of their lungs for a team that can't do nothing for them. But I say it right now in this place, we serve a God, who reigns, we serve a God who is victory, who has given us the victory and continues to allow us to experience victory. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all That is within me. Bless his holy name. That's a little bit more like it for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, this place. Come on, listen. So glad to be with us today. I'm Pastor Moe, for those who I've had not the opportunity to meet, uh, lead pastor at Victory Midtown where my wife Kendra and I get the privilege of serving victory to the city right there in Midtown. And uh, I just wanna say thank you for being here today. And what we wanna do is before we even jump into the message, I wanna say welcome to those who are worshiping online today. We have people watching and worshiping with us from all over the world, from Puerto Rico, from the Philippines, from Nigeria. Somebody give God praise for them. (laughs) Listen, as you've tuned in today, I'm confident that you're in the right place at the right time. And I want you to lean in today because God is going to speak to you. Amen. Amen. Victory, one more time, but before we kind of get into the meat, there's a couple things that I want to say. I do want to take a pastoral privilege in this moment, and I want you to do me a favor and welcome another great group of people who are with us today, actually by live stream, who Kendra and I get the opportunity to serve, and that's the Victory Midtown family. They're streaming in. Victory Midtown. Come on. Can y'all give God praise to Victory Midtown? Let them know that you love them, your brothers, your sisters, down the street, down 85, Midtown, look forward to seeing you. We love you, and we will see you next week. Amen. And again, I'm going to preach in a minute, (laughs) y'all. But I have to do this last thing. I want to just honor two groups of people for a moment, because a lot of times as we kind of go through the hustle and bustle of church and navigating life, we don't always understand, especially in a household and a community of faith, those who labor well among us those who actually go before God for us so that we can even operate in the grace that we walk in. And so who I'm talking about is two couples, the the Rouses, Pastor Dennis and Colleen, our founding pastors, you can give God praise for them, who over 30 years ago, they set this vision in place so that we can be in here. We can do better than that, y'all. We wouldn't be sitting in here if they had not sacrificed over all the years. They don't like that, but I have to give honor where honor is due. And those who are standing on your feet right now, you can stay on your feet, because we also know that without a proper handoff of succession, we can't continue to do the things that God has for us. And so we want to thank God for those who have taken the baton, Pastor Johnson and Summer Bowie, who labor so well before us as God continues to allow them to have strength. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's jump into the Word. Here's the thing. Today, we're going to actually be continuing uh, in what we've been navigating through for the last seven months, since about February of this year, where we've been studying what we would call, what many would call, the most important impactful public speech or sermon ever to be given in the earth, and that was Jesus giving the what? I was just checking if y'all have been listening. This Sermon on the Mount was recorded uh, in chapters five through seven of Matthew, and it was called Jesus' manifesto. It was him giving us the keys on what we would need to do to listen to him so that windstorms, somebody say windstorms. Wind storms. Yes. When storms come, we know that we can not just stand firm, but we can thrive. Yes. That we can push forward with strength, with power and authority. And so he wanted to make sure that with this and these three power power-packed passages of Scripture, he wanted to let us know how we're supposed to live. And so for this whole year, we've been navigating through this. We've gone through some powerful series. We started off finding out what it really means to be blessed with the character of a Christ follower. He taught us through the Sermon on the Mount how we're supposed to even navigate sex and sexuality, understanding the difference between love and lust. He even talked about, through the Lord's Prayer's teaching, how do we operate an effective prayer so that we can actually get results. How many people want results in your prayer? And we just came out of a powerful series that taught us how to handle money God's way. And today, somebody say today. today. Today, we're taking another step as we kick in the gear and we kick off this series called The Golden Rule. Somebody say The Golden Rule. The golden rule is found in chapter 7, verse 12 of, of Matthew, where you've probably heard it before, not even knowing it was in the Bible, where it says, so in everything you do, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. And so I'm confident, I'm very confident, as we've been navigating, praying, putting real strength into these messages in these series, I'm very confident that this is a series that all of us need, so I need us to lock in. So as we jump into this series today, one of the things that I want us to keep in mind that we've kind of sprinkled and talked about throughout this year is that every part of this sermon, and as you read the Bible, these portions are interconnected. What I mean by that is that Jesus puts nothing in the Scriptures randomly. Every time you see certain things going on, there's a build-up and there's a context and there's a reason of why you see things land where they land. And so today, I, I just need you to know by announcement That God is extremely intentional. He's intentional about your life. He's intentional about your family. He's intentional about how he wants to see you thrive in the things of the Lord. And so, as we understand that he's so intentional, I wanna actually start by reading the last verse in the sixth chapter, which we finished the last series in, before we start in the first verse of chapter seven, which we're kicking this series off. Why? Because God is intentional. And there's context, and we're going along for a ride. And so, let's just read together uh, Matthew chapter six. I'm going to read it for your hearing. Matthew, Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-four, and then we're going to kind of keep on into what we're going in today. Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-four says this: Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right. Now, this is where we're focusing on this series as we get into uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. Before we do that, I need you to look at the person next to you and say, child. Child. Come on, midtown, say, child. Child. Here comes the trouble. trouble. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says this. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? We could just stop and go home right there. (laughs) How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under your feet and turn and tear you into pieces. Here's a scripture that we lean into a lot, and we preach it, and we say it. Verse 7, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give you a snake. I need you to look at the screens, and I want us to read this in concert together, see in this reconciled church if we can be in rhythm. In verse 11, let's read, one, two, three. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Keep reading. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, as we just read the scripture, for some of us, the scripture was reading us. Many of us, as we read this, we already get correction because God is starting to speak to you and prompt things by the Holy Spirit to align you with his ways. And as we jump into these scriptures what I need you to know even as you go back to verse 34 of chapter 6 when Jesus is talking about trouble will be for every day in its own I need you to know that trouble is a lot closer than you think look at the person next to you right now troubles right there (laughs) now for some of you that are married you've been waiting all morning for somebody to help you with that but but look, 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 this is what I'm saying. As you talk about this, I need us to know that trouble is a lot closer than we think. And he's talking not necessarily about the person sitting next to you. So I'm going to give you a little pass. But what he is talking about right here is anyone that is outside of your body. He's saying anyone that's outside of you that can be trouble because people that are outside of you, what do they do? People sin. People do evil. People offend you. And the whole thing that even this scripture and this passage is trying to get us to understand is how do we respond when people start peopling? Y'all know what I'm talking about. How do we respond when people start peopling, when they don't show up with their Sunday morning self? When you meet their Wednesday at 3.33 p.m. self? What do you do? How do you respond? And I'm telling you that over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about this, and you want to be here every week. Why? Because we're going to be digging into one of the most elusive skills that ever to be known to man, and that's how to respond to people and the pains they bring to our lives. We're going to be dealing with the people you love. We're going to be dealing with the people you don't like. And watch this. We're going to be dealing with the people that don't like you. Because you might think you're all likable to everyone, but there's some people that just don't like you. And so, over the next several weeks, we're gonna be talking about how to deal with your political enemy the person that's on the other side of the party that you don't agree with, how to deal and correct Christians when they're out of pocket. How to deal with those who you love. How to engage with social media and the things that are happening today. Because today, as we actually start through this, we need to know that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, uh, chapter 7 verse 11, he is saying that we need to start understanding what it means to seek the Lord for this understanding. And so today, here's where I'm starting. I'm starting today by focusing on chapter 7 verse 7 through 11. Now, as soon as I said that, some of you more linear, logical, left-brained people are like, I thought we were going through the scriptures one by one. You can't do that. You skipped over all these verses in verses one through six. But I have a revelation for you today that we're going to grab, is that as we've been praying about this as a leadership team, what we understood very quickly is that you cannot deal with taking the speck out of somebody else's eye. You cannot deal with judging someone else. All those things that are in verses 1 through 6 until you understand verses 7 through 11. And so we're going to come back and navigate through this, but today I want to let you know that God wants us to deal with this. Because the current state of society, what it is, is very confusing. There's a lot of people who just want to be those who are meddling just to meddle. There are people who want to have confusion just to have confusion. Have you ever noticed that when you look around society right now, there's just a whole lot of pettiness going on? That people are majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors? That you'll see people throw a comment on somebody's feed just to see if they can incite some type of response, and we fall into it. And so what we're doing as we look at this, we want to make sure that we're not falling into this trap. Somebody say a trap. That we're not falling into this trap of society that would have us throw friendly fire at the people we're supposed to be walking with. And so here it is. Here's my question to us as we navigate through this. And I just want to kind of go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. I'm probably not going to tell you anything new today. But I'm going to remind you of something that's true that we don't always walk in. And so my question is, what would it look like if we could actually treat other people how we really want to be treated? What would happen if we could come out of ourselves and take a moment and pause before we respond and say, would I want to be treated that way? And so, as we look in this, I want to acknowledge that many people, even as you hear me say, I'm going to start at chapter 7, verse 7, you hear, "act, seek, knock. And many times, that particular passage of Scripture is simply relegated to prayer. That's not wrong, but as we've talked about this and talked about different things throughout this series and the last series, there's a lot of truth in the Bible that is true, but sometimes it's incomplete in the way that we see it. And so let's jump into this. What Jesus is saying right here is he's bringing home a point that the basis of asking, seeking, and knocking is an expression of need of the things that we do need, but we don't always know we need. This asking, seeking, and knocking, he's talking about gifts, and he's not talking about a gift like a new car with a bow on it. He's not talking about that gift of that dream house you've been trying to get. The gifts that he's talking about are the gifts of peace of mind, of hope from God, of godly friends, of joy in your soul. Understanding that as I have peace of even eternal life, I'm able to navigate in a way through having God's forgiveness that I don't have to wait on somebody else to give me something tangible because God has put something eternal on the inside of me. And so here's the thing that we have to understand. I want to say this very soberly. Just because we need something does not mean we deserve it. Just because we need something does not mean we deserve it. Because the reality is, if we only receive the things of need that we deserved, I don't know about you, we all will fall short. We all will fall short because we don't always operate in a way that's equal to the thing that we are asking God for. And so my question here at Norcross, online, at Midtown... We need to recognize that we are in a world full of needy people. Pastor Dennis would always call the extra grace required people. But as we look at this, we know that we'll see certain people coming our way, and immediately we try to go the other way. Because we're looking at them we're saying, I know they're going to need something today. But before you get too beside yourself, I need you to look at yourself in a proverbial mirror and say, I'm a little needy too. Come on, you're needy too. And I mean to say this is that there's nothing wrong. I want to kind of dispel something. There's actually nothing wrong with being needy. Because we need water. We need clothing. We need food. But the thing that we have to understand is that those are natural needs that God provides. But here's what I want us to know, and I need you to write this down. This is not in your notes. We are all in desperate need of the grace of God. We are all in desperate need of the grace of God. I need you to say this with me. Say, I need grace. I need Come on, Midtown, say it so I can hear you all the way up here in Norcross. Say, I need, grace. I need grace. And I want to just unpack quickly because there's two terms that we often use in church that we don't always walk the truth of. These terms are mercy and grace. When we think about mercy, mercy, the difference between the two, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Where grace is God giving us something we absolutely don't deserve. And I need you to kind of just participate with me because I need this to get deep into your spirit and I need you to say this with everything in you. Say, God, God, I need need what I don't deserve. deserve. Come on, say it one more time. Say, God, God, I need need what I don't deserve. deserve. Let me tell you what I'm talking about out of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. It says this, but God Being rich in mercy, being rich in him not giving us what we deserve, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together by Christ, by what? By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his what? of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a what? It is a gift of God. God. To take away any mystery, what I'm talking about today is this good gift of grace. This good gift of grace that before we can try to start correcting somebody else, Before we can start trying to measure somebody else, we need to understand that there's a good gift of grace that we need. Amen? Amen. And so as Jesus asks, as he says, ask, seek, knock. He's saying, acknowledge your need. Stop trying to be someone who's so full of themselves that says, I don't need anything. He's saying, no, this right here is something you need. And Jesus points out this need, and then he shifts to something that only God can supply. He shifts gears right here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, I need you to remember that this is interconnected with us learning how we're going to treat people that people. I need you to understand that this is interconnected. So God is teaching us through Jesus how to deal with people who are going to be difficult. And I believe that one of the reasons we oftentimes have a hard time dealing with difficult people is because we forget that we are difficult people. Tell the truth, shame the devil. One of the reasons why we can be so judgmental is because we forget the grace that was offered up to us. I love this statement that I heard Pastor Dennis say years ago when it came to grace. He said, what what oxygen is and what oxygen does to the physical body, grace does for the spirit man. Let me say it again. What oxygen does for the physical man, grace imparts to the spiritual man. And so as we look at grace and as we grab this truth, we need to understand that grace is this. Write this down. It's actually in your notes if you're following along by version, or you see it on the screen. Grace is God's operational power. It's God doing for us, watch this, what we could never do for ourselves. And I need to say that very slowly because sometimes we get so comfortable in our Western growing up in this world that we think that we earn some stuff. We think that we can do this thing on our own. But he says grace is God doing for us something that we can never do for ourselves. Not only is grace God's operational power, watch this, grace is the very expression of God's nature. Grace is the very expression of God's nature. I need you to hear this. Why? Because I believe that the central problem, and I actually need you all in here in Norcross to lean in for me for a minute. Midtown, lean in for me. Come on, lean in. Come on. Some of y'all are like, I don't know what you're talking about right now. Midtown, y'all know what I'm talking about. Lean in with me. I need you to hear this truth. A central problem that we have, especially as Christians, is not that we don't believe in God. It's that we don't believe God as Father. Just let that simmer in your spirit for a moment. The central problem that gets us in trouble, why we don't catch the grace of God, why we don't operate in humility, why we don't give people grace, is because, yeah, we believe in God, but we don't believe God as Father, meaning we don't believe his characteristics. We don't believe he has the good for us. We don't believe that he has plans to prosper us to give us a great hope in the future. We only see God a lot of times through our lens of our experience, through judgment, through condemnation, and through somebody telling you you're not enough. But I got news for you today. I need you not just to believe in God. I need you to believe God is a father who loves you and wants to provide grace to you. Somebody needs to give God praise for that right there. The reason why this is so important, listen to this, is because the devil believes in God. The devil believes in God and the power that he has. He just wants you not to believe God as your source. And so, if we can grab this, we will understand that God's entire nature is to bless us. His entire nature, his default, is to give us good gifts. And so, God says through his word that I'm going to give them what they don't deserve. What is it that we don't deserve? We don't deserve his compassion. We don't deserve his mercy. We don't deserve his patience with us. And we absolutely don't deserve his grace, but that's what grace is. And so this picture that he gives us, even in verses seven through 11, he says, as a human, you wanna do good to your children, right? How much more will your father do this? So I I tell these stories in Midtown, they're probably tired of hearing me talking about our son Maximus, because over the last two years, I'm gonna tell you, he's teaching us a whole lot of lessons. And in these lessons, one of the things that even as I was reading this, the Bible says you wouldn't have your, your son or your child ask you for bread and then give them a, a stone. I saw that. And if Maximus came to Kendra, I, if he asked us for a sandwich, I'm not going to put that in bricks and say, see what happens. <laughs> if he asks us for a goldfish, I'm not going to give him a venomous copperhead and see if, it's, if it uh, bites him or not. I'm a good father who's going to look out for his best interests. I want to tell you something. I need you to let you know this very simple truth. God is a good father that sees your best interests. I need somebody to grab that. It's a simple truth. It's not revolutionary, but we don't walk in it. But sometimes, if we're honest in our human nature, we deal with people based on how they deal with us. And how many of you are glad that God doesn't do that? I would even say it. As a new father, as a new mother, there are times when in the midnight hour, we're not looking to see if God's going to turn it around. Sometimes it's Maximus coming in our room waking us up. And in those times, sometimes our flesh does not want to be jovial. Our flesh does not want to be pleasant. Our flesh does not always want to give him the, the best things. We're just saying go to sleep. But God is saying, no matter when you call out to him, you're never waking up him from sleep. No matter when you call out to him, you're never disturbing him. No matter when you come in and you think you're interrupting, he's saying, I'm always here. And I'm always ready to give you what you need. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so we have to understand this truth about grace. Why? Because if we don't get this, we won't be able to really navigate with other people. Because our level of understanding vertical grace will dictate how we give horizontal grace. Let me say that again. Our level of understanding vertical grace will dictate how we give horizontal grace, which is how we actually accomplish the golden rule. And so here's a major key here for Norcross, for online, for for Midtown. I need you to hear this. The result of us really understanding grace is this, humility. This sneaky little word called humility. When we really understand grace, it causes us, it pushes us, it dictates us to operate in a way that's not self-centered. It pushes us to operate in a way that we're humble. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says this. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, watch this, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let me be very clear about something. When we're talking about humility in this particular context, humility says unashamedly, I don't have it all together. Humility says, I need help. Humility doesn't walk around with the church face trying to act like I have it all together and I'm holier than thou. Humility says, the same grace that I've been given is the only way that I can give grace out. And so grace, it is given, listen, to those who know they need it. So what would it look like if we became the body of Christ who didn't walk puffed up, but we got more lowly? And we said, God, I need your grace. God, I need your strength. Because here it is. The reason why some of us don't get the things we actually need is because we don't actually walk around acknowledging that we need it. Let me come right home down your street real quick. Y'all give me some grace in this moment, because I'm going to tell you. The reason why some of y'all out here still single it's because you walk around here like you don't need nothing now I'm not saying you you need to get married or you need to do something or be with somebody because somebody's gonna feel your needs but I'm saying if you're walking around like you can do good all by yourself and you don't need anybody else in your space why would anybody approach that but that's what we do even with the Lord Some people are not serving God because they walk around here thinking with a false understanding that they don't need anything. But I don't know about you. There came a point into my life where I woke up one day and said, this way that I've been doing it is not going to work anymore. There came a day in my life when I've tried and I found that there is no one that can do me like Jesus. There came a point in my life where I've tried to do things my way and I realized that my way would get me into the devil's way. And if we will understand that God is waiting for us to acknowledge, you need me? He's sitting here waiting for you to actually tap him in. Sometimes our lack of acknowledgement of needing him is keeping him from actually showing his power in our lives. The Lord gave me this illustration years ago. It's as if we have God, Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who is the best player on the team. Let's put it in football terms. And he's sitting over there on the bench while the team is losing. He's sitting there on the bench saying, I think y'all said y'all got it. If y'all let me in the game, I could actually win this game for you just like that. But since you got it, I'm just going to wait over here until you actually call me into the game. And some of us are losing in the game of life because you have God sitting on the the sidelines, all powerful, and he's saying, I'm just waiting for you to acknowledge that you need me. How many times have we lost it all when God is saying, you did that? How many times have we blamed God for not bringing something into our lives and bringing us through a particular challenge in life, and he says, you never tapped me in? I've just been waiting all this time to see if you actually know that you cannot do anything without me. And let me give you a commercial brought to you by Jesus Christ. This just was a download. Some of y'all are doing real well in life, so it seems. This is just a Holy Spirit download. What you don't understand is you're still only operating at 30%. I don't care if you got all the money you think you need. I don't care if you can take all the trips you can take. I don't care if you have the relationship that you think is your dream relationship. God is saying, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. You need to know that when you tap the Lord of Lords in, he's saying, I will put my super on your natural and I can do things that you can never do on your own. Somebody say, God, I need you. Somebody say, God, get in the game. So you know I'm not just hyping you, let me give you some scriptural background for that. Some of y'all are like, okay, you need to give me some theology on that. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself, Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Not your own ability. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For power, my power is perfected in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sakes. Watch this. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Can somebody just flex on them real quick? Say, for when I am weak and I tap God in, then I'm strong. Come on, some of y'all acting a little shy. I need you to flex on them right quick to remember this. When I am weak and I tap God in, then I am strong. And this is good news. This is good news. What he's saying right here is that when you recognize that you don't have it all together, when you recognize that with your best plans, you're only at 30%, when you understand that when you try to go pick that spouse by yourself, you're going to get yourself into some trouble. Some of y'all are already a little too late. Say, your grace is sufficient for me. Your strength is made perfect in my weakness. (laughs) Child. He's saying, when you grasp this and understand this truth, that when you acknowledge your weakness, you're actually not acknowledging weakness. You're actually operating in strength. Let me say that one more time. When you understand and can start to acknowledge that I'm actually weak, you're not just saying I'm a weak person for the sake of being weak. You're actually saying the greatest strength I have is to understand that I am weak in my own flesh, but God is all-powerful. Yeah. And so God is calling, waiting on us to call him into the game. Because what keeps me, I'm just going to share something about myself. What keeps me walking in humility is recognizing that it only takes one moment for me to fall. Can I be real with you? Even pastors up here preaching on the platform. What keeps me walking in humility, what keeps me not looking at someone who's not in the place that I am spiritually, as we like to say. What keeps me not judging someone where they're operating in a a state of lostness is understanding that I could be lost too, yet but the grace of God. What keeps me walking in humility is that I just didn't get caught when I went did my stuff. Can we be real in this sanctified church? There are some people serving time in jail, and there's some people not serving time, and the only difference is that God had grace on that person. And so for some of us, it was life experiences that actually allowed us to see that we needed the grace. For some of us, it was 2008 when the economic uh, turn hit. You started asking God right then. For some of you, it was Hurricane Katrina years ago. For some of you, it was COVID where then you started seeking. For some of us, it's inflation that's happening right now that's taking a toll on you, that's taking a toll on your family, that now we're starting to say, God, I'm knocking and I'm saying, I need your help. And so I want us to just even make this practical, because a lot of times when we're in church and we're kind of thinking about why somebody else needs to be thankful, but I want to say one of the reasons we need to thank God for grace is that we need to normalize that it took grace just to let you make it home from Publix yesterday. You need to know that it was grace that allows you to make it at the gas station and you didn't get carjacked. You need to understand that it was grace that even allows you to put your foot on the ground this morning and still be able to move around. I think we ought to take about a 30 second praise break and start to just say, God, I thank you for your grace. God, I thank you for your mercy. God, I thank you for who you are, come on, God, I bless you in this place. I will not be here, if it had not been for your goodness. Midtown, I need you to yell out to the Lord right now, and say God, thank you for your grace, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus! Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus! Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Some of y'all are a little too dignified for me right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You don't know what I made it through to be standing up here. I say thank you. You don't know what it took for me to stand in church this morning. I say thank you. You don't know from what it took for my marriage to still be intact. I say thank you. You don't know how I got pardoned from that sin. I say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We have to be people who say, God, I need your grace. Let me not go get so comfortable in my thing, the things that I walk through that I don't understand that I need your grace. Let me not get lulled to sleep by the money that's in my bank account that I think I don't need your grace. Let me not think because I'm in the C-suite at my job that things can't change in a moment and downsizing can't happen that I don't need your grace. We need the grace of God. And God knows. He knows what you need. But listen to this. The delivery that you get in what you need is in the asking. And when you know that you need the grace of God and you know now that you're walking in humility, you can take up what this scripture says in Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. It says this. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are without, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Meaning, let's come confidently. Let's come to him and ask him because we know he's a good father. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Here's what I need you to know grace is what grace does. Grace is what grace does. What What does grace do? Grace helps. How does grace help? If you even want to look back into the annals of the Bible, grace helped in the form of a ram in the bush when Abraham was about to kill his promised seed. Grace showed up and helped him. Grace helped in the form of God splitting the Red Sea when Moses was looking over his shoulder and seeing the army coming after his neck. Grace showed up right there and closed the mouths of those lions so that Daniel would not be lunch. Grace showed up in my life as a form of peace when my life was in turmoil several years ago. Grace showed up when I knew I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he still said, I'm gonna give you grace and get you out of this situation. Grace was help for me when I had to take sleeping pills to go to bed and caffeine pills to get up in the morning because I was in so much turmoil. Grace showed up and helped me when I knew I could not even take another step, but I would say, God, I need you. And what we need to do is sometimes get back to the old hymns of the church. We need to take a posture, if not in your body, in your spirit, and say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that will save a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. I need somebody just to give God praise right now and say, it was the amazing grace. 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 Why? Because in my best efforts, I don't deserve God's grace. But this good gift of grace is something he gave me knowing I didn't deserve it. And so today, this is what I want us to know. We have to be a people who remember that grace. And one of the ways that we remember that grace is that Jesus, before he went to the cross, he said, there's something I want you to do often in remembrance of me. So we're going to take communion in a moment because I want us to burn this into our spirit. If you have your communion elements, just take those out right now. As a matter of fact, just stand on your feet for me all over the room and there at Midtown. As we take a moment to remember, we need to understand that the body and the blood of Jesus was given to us so that we can walk in wholeness and we could be reminded of the freedom and the liberty that he gave us. And so as I said earlier, there are things, there are good gifts that he gave us that we could never actually qualify for. But what we're saying right now, go ahead and take out that bread, that when we take out this bread, This bread represents his healing power in our lives. And what we say here at Victory is that this time of remembering God through communion is for the believer. But it's also for the person who wants to become a believer and a disciple with Jesus today. And so the first thing I want to say to you is that God sees you. He knows you need him even before you know you need him. And so if you have need in your body for healing, He's saying, remember that my grace is sufficient to heal you. Remember that the bread represents my broken body that was willingly broken for you so that you can be made whole. And so I just want to say a quick prayer for anybody in here that still operates not knowing that their body is healed under the body broken of Jesus. Father, I say right now that we are healed that we're whole, that we're set free, and we remember the grace and appropriate the grace that you've given us now in Jesus' name. Let's take now and eat together. Now, this moment here is so important and so powerful because the Bible tells us that there is nothing that can wash away our sins except for the blood of Jesus. And if you came into this place, you heard me talk all service about the fact that we serve a God who would give the ultimate sacrifice of his one and only Son so that you could be forgiven, so that I can be forgiven. But that forgiveness has come with a cost. And it was the cost of our Savior. And so, right now, before we take of this, I want to just make a, a plea. If you're in here today and you're saying, I want this grace. I recognize I need this grace, that I've tried other things, I've tried other ways, I've tried to do other things, but I know I need to accept Jesus in my heart today. If that's you, take the other hand that's not holding it, and just lift it up to me so I can see you. I see hands all over the room, all over the room, all over the room. I want to pray this prayer with you before we take this because you are getting ready to translate out of darkness and into light, out of a place of saying that I can't do it to now saying God can do it where your soul is now saved from the the damnation of eternity, now you can walk in eternal life. So let Victory Church, let's say this prayer together. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Right now, I repent, which means I turn away from my way and idea of doing things, and I turn towards your way of doing things. Today, I make a decision to accept you as Lord and Savior from this day forward. And I can say confidently that I am a child of God. It's in Jesus' name that I'm saved. Take now and drink. Hallelujah, hallelujah. There's a bucket that's getting ready to come down to collect those elements. But this is what I want us to do. We're gonna leave today with the celebration of these good gifts that God has given us, that this is good news that we now need to share with the world. Because what good would it be for us to have this good news and this good gift if we keep it to ourselves and don't judge people rightly with it? And so in this moment, as we leave here together, we're gonna celebrate here together at Norcross Online. Midtown, you're gonna do it right there in the local campus. We're gonna celebrate the good news of God. Let's celebrate together.